welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Patrick. I am Jonah, joined as always by my co-host Ben. Hello, hello. And today we are joined by, hmm, who could it be? Patrick? I wonder. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. How's it going? Thank you, thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, it's going pretty well, pretty well. How are you guys doing? Good. A little chilly. It's cold out today. I don't know if either of you have been outside yet. I will not go outside um, for a while. <laughs> I, I, you're waking me up at least an hour before my normal wake-up time, so I haven't gone outside yet. So, <laughs> no. Not yet. Well, don't do it. It's cold. <laughs> Noted. So, Patrick, what have you been up to since the last time you were on this show? Many moons ago. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things that involve not seeing other people and remaining mm-hmm. quarantined. But I, I have been um, getting the wood burning stove going, which is very nice. Speaking of cold weather, I got a lot of firewood outside. I've been chopping up, and inside I have a table set up right in front of the stove. So when I play games, I can just uh, have warm air being blown right at me. It's really nice. That sounds like an ideal cold weather environment, Patrick. <laughs> yes, yes. And how about you, Ben? Since uh, a week ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I have been doing more of the same. Uh, my parents are visiting this week. Uh, this week, they're coming tonight. Well, really, tomorrow morning because they drive seventeen hours. Oh um, God. So they left at like 5 in the morning, and we'll get here at like 1 in the morning, so that'll be fun. Um, looking forward to seeing my dog again. Well, the family done, dog again, I guess. Have you done that drive before, Ben? Uh, yeah, twice. Um, I've never actually driven it, but I've been a passenger. He's done that um, ride before. <laughs> yes, I've done the ride. I've done the ride. It is, um, it's not terrible actually but it's not the most fun thing in the world um but my dad got a new car um and he so my dad's retired and he just turned 60 uh in december mid-december and he wanted to treat himself to a nice car to drive around the nice florida weather with um and he's driving the car up here uh and we we were trying to convince him not to because we were like what's the car that uh, it is a uh, Genesis GV80. Cool. You're just uh, making that up. <laughs> no, it's so it's an SUV. It's the first. So Genesis is that like upper tier Hyundai brand, right? That came out a while ago as Hyundai Genesis and then broke off into their like luxury brand. And this is their first SUV or like Toyota and Lexus. Yeah, exactly. Or Honda um, and Acura. And we were trying to tell him to just... Because they were originally going to, like, rent a van and drive it up to have, like, more space because it's three people and a dog. Um, and whatever I'm sending back, which is board games. Um, hmm. And he he discovered... Well, he didn't discover. I told him that his car has massage seats. So now he is driving his car. <laughs> so... That's how you um, fall asleep on a 17-hour drive. I know, right? Yeah, so he's looking. I guess he's looking forward to the drive because the seats massage you as you yeah, drive. Yeah, 17-hour massage. Yeah, so that should be interesting. Um, I know the United States that. 
is a big country, and I know that it takes more than 17 hours to drive east-west across this country, but doing a 17-hour drive in one go and still being in the same country sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, it depends on where you start. Like, I could yeah, do a 17-hour drive north and end up in Canada, <laughs> but I know what let's, you mean. Let's face it, Florida is its own country, really. Yeah. Florida, Texas. Texas like is changing. Yeah. Slowly. Well, Florida is just ever-changing in, like, a terrible way, but it's fine uh it also so my dad's old car by the way i don't know if you've ever sat in a car with cooled seats but my dad's old car had cooled seats and it felt like little tiny fans on my butt i sat in a car with cooled seats this morning but maybe that's because it was 23 degrees outside well active cooled seats are like the greatest and now this one has rear cooled seats as well not I just thought the, the cooled seats, seats were already cooling your rear. They were, but now in the rear, I can cool my rear. So I'm really excited because I'm usually the passenger in these situations. And more often than not, I get shoved in the back row. So cooling seats in Florida is a solid deal. So yeah, it should be fun. But um, that's really it life-wise. Not, not much else. That I've not, I have not done much else lately. So, what are you going to do while they're up here? Uh, well, hockey starts this week, so we're going to watch hockey, which will be fun. I cannot wait for that to happen. Um, been waiting almost a year at this point for hockey to come back. And Didn't you watch know, hockey brother, last week? Uh, that was the World Junior Championship. Um, so this is the NHL. So this one's nice because... As you know, my brother works for the New York Rangers, so he has a job again. So that's well, that's good. good. Oh. So yeah, um, has to get COVID tests every single day uh, when he goes. Oh, into every this day! Summer. Wow. But yeah, so it should be fun. Uh, but yeah, he's got a job again, and I get get to watch hockey again. Well, real hockey, not not twenty twenty and under kids playing hockey. <laughs> An embarrassment to the sport, right, Ben? They're, I mean, depends on who who you're talking to. Some of them are prospects for the Rangers, so I was quite excited to watch them. But I'm just ha- I'm just happy that sports are coming back in some capacity. So that'll be fun. Other than that, cool. we're probably just going to eat a lot of food. They have three requirements when they come up here: uh, Chinese food, Italian food, and one specific pizza place uh, in Bridgewater. So <laughs> I'm sure you can manage that. Yes, definitely. So, yep. All right, you should be fun. Oh, jeez. What have I been doing? Nothing. Playing some video games. I have pivoted from my, like, 50-plus hour campaign games into a shorter campaign game. That's also in English, which is going to be a nice change of pace because I consume so much non-English media in my leisure time that it's nice to be able to look away from the screen and still know what's going on. Sometimes. So, you know, Ghost of Tsushima was 50 hours of Japanese, which I chose. Um, And then Jessica and I are watching some anime while we eat right now, which is, of course, in Japanese. So I'm playing Spider-Man right now, and it's nice to just hear English and not have to read anything 
to get stuff. So that's uh, that's a big move over here, playing some English video games. I tried Ghost of Tsushima in Japanese for like, honestly, for like two hours, and just the fact that it wasn't animated in Japanese ruined it for me, and I had to switch back to English. I couldn't, I couldn't watch the mouth move in English and hear Japanese and read subtitles at the same time. It was too much. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Well, why don't we pivot to the uh, the focus of this show, and that is board games. Patrick, yeah. why don't you start us off? What have you played in the last week, two weeks, month? You choose. I got uh, three games I wanted to talk about, one of which we all played together and had a surprise surprise ending. We all played a trick-taking game called Stick'em. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't even put it in my app. Honestly, the only wow. the only reason that I remember half of these is because of my notebook now. I date when I play my games, so without looking at my phone, I can see what was this week. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have forgotten this one, too, to be honest with you. I'm going to uh, go type up my thoughts. And you need to get this what in the it? app, Jonah, because, yeah, right. of, uh, because of who won. <laughs> That's why it's not in the app. <laughs> <laughs> so Stick'em is a trick-taking game where... Um, you are trying to collect, trying to win tricks. Each card you win is a point, unless it is the color of your pain suit, which you get to choose at the beginning of the round, which then gives you negative points equal to the card's value. So negative points are really, uh, really um, bad because high. high score wins. <laughs> yeah, really bad. Yep. <laughs> and positive points are a little harder to get because there's only one per card. Uh, so it's really a game of trying to manage your hand and trying not to get one color and get all the other colors and there's a lot of being able to drop high colored cards on other people to give them negative points that's why it's called stick'em so i enjoy it it's fun little trick-taking game i still don't know strategy wise how to play but it's still fun to play and uh ben had a really good showing and won yeah surprisingly i enjoyed a trick-taking game and i won a trick-taking game which is why it's in my app um, I thought this one was actually pretty fun. It had, like, a level of meanness that I could deal with. Like, it wasn't so terrible in terms of, like, the take that aspect for me that I was, like, not enjoying the play. And it's not because I won that I enjoyed it. I actually thought that it was pretty fun. Um, but I liked, uh... I guess I could say strategy, though, Patrick, I, I, I agree that I still don't really know, like, a strategy strategy, but I like the choice they give you because that that initial card that you choose for your pain suit also still counts as negative points, so you are kind of torn between placing a low-numbered card down when you choose your pain suit in order to not lose as many points, but that makes it harder for you to purposely lose the pain suit hands later in the game. So it's like an interesting choice. Do you choose to put the one out and then risk higher higher cards being given to you because you can't purposely lose that, um, that pain suit hand? Um, I will say I do think that I had some luck in getting a lot of zeros because the zeros have a special rule where they, regardless of 
the color or anything, they always lose you the hand. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think I got lucky. I had almost every round, I had uh, like two zeros um, in my hand. So there are only four. So having half of them mean meant that I could lose a good number of my hands on purpose, which helped. But I think I only had... I only had one round where I really took a lot of negative cards, and that was because of my own stupidity, where I was like, oh, I can play this card without realizing that an earlier card played in the round was part of my pain suit for some reason. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, I I enjoyed playing this one. Um, I, I'd play it again, surprisingly, because I don't seem to love trick-taking games that much, but I thought this one was, was a fun one. I will say something incredibly immature right now and I'm just going to say it because it's how I felt but while we were playing all I could think was I don't get it so I don't like it (laughs) Um, this is of course tongue in cheek Uh, I had a really difficult time figuring out how this game worked and a lot of the rules are kind of is antithetical the word antithetical to like normal trick taking games and their strategy um, the fact that following suit isn't a thing, and the fact that an offsuit card wins over the lead suit was really tricky to get through my head. Um, I, I also couldn't figure out, and the only reason I would play this again is to figure it out, not to think that I would have more fun next time. But I couldn't figure out if you want to make your pain suit a suit that you are long in or not. And to be long in a suit in a trick-taking game means to have a lot of it. So if I have 2, 3, 5, 8, 11 green, do I make the 2 my pain card and try and lose the rest of my green cards somehow? Mm -hmm. Or do I make something else the pain suit because it is the least of that color, the least card color I have. Uh, yeah, so for me, and I'm not talking as if I'm some expert just because I won this time, but for me, I didn't, so first off, I didn't know that that was what the term was, being long in that suit. Um, but my strategy was to make that my pain suit because... Throughout the game, what I was trying to do was either lead the suit or be last. The whole game. All I was trying to do was lead the suit or go last. Because when I was going last, what I could do was try and see... Like, if the lead suit was my pain suit and someone played an off suit, oh, I'm going to dump the highest value pain suit card I have because I'm not winning. And if I went first, I would start with one of my offsuits or something because anybody playing my pain suit would win because it was an offsuit so like that was my strategy was go first or last and then i could kind of dictate where i was going with that yeah i you know i'm glad you mentioned that because i was not thrilled and this is a weird comment but i was not thrilled with how important turn order was in this game because i also was trying to be in the position you were in but i was never in that position almost the entire time. And the one time I was in that position, I made the dumbest mistake possible. But uh, 
that point notwithstanding, I had a really hard time being in a position where I could do anything meaningful with my cards. So the first round, I had two 11s, two 10s, and three 9s. And Ben, you're talking about how these zeros made it so easy for you. Having those high cards meant I was pretty much going to win every trick that I played those cards into. Because playing an 11 is either on-suit and winning, or off-suit and the highest off-suit. So it was incredibly difficult for me to shed my hand. And because it was so difficult, it didn't even matter what my pain suit was, because I was just going to get stuck with it the whole time. Mm -hmm. So the difficulty of finagling turn order and getting a crap hand that I think objectively I couldn't have gotten rid of better made it really tough for me. And look, I got negative 45 points in this, which is I think a new record low (laughs) score for me in any game. But 36 of those 45 negative points were because of one stupid mistake, which I fully take the blame on. But I didn't understand the game, and I didn't think that there was enough to it that I could do. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. There's strategy there. I couldn't figure out how to make any strategy work. Therefore, I wasn't a big fan. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe if we play again, we'll start seeing more strategies. But uh, to me, it's just fun. Fun oh, I mean, taking game. I would play it again, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure you don't think I hate you and I hate the game you brought up. Jonah. Just, <laughs> just one of the two. Innovation. One of the two and you have to choose. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you hate the game this time. <laughs> All right, so I, the... Um, uh, Oh. Wait, just really one more thought there. Um, I think the only reason... I think if I was big into trick-taking games, I would probably have the same thoughts. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Um, because I can see how someone who's into trick-taking games and plays them more than I do would think similarly about the game. I think the fact that I don't play many trick-taking games and most of the time don't like many of them contributed to me enjoying this one more because it's so different than most trick-taking games mm-hmm. that yeah, I think it was point. like different different enough for me to wrap my head around I think it's funny how game brains work because like Jonah you say similar things about like Tricarian but like Tricarian versus food chain like somehow I get Tricarian but I don't I can't wrap my head around like the strategy and food chain. Right. And it's like flipped here and you understand all these other trick taking games and this one you didn't wrap your head around, but I get this one and not other. I don't know. I think it's funny how things work that way. Cause like to me, this one was like, Oh, okay. I'll just play like this way the whole time. And it worked out for me. And I think it's wild that that happens sometimes. Right. Yeah. Sometimes something looks super straightforward to you and you're like, how do other people not see what I'm seeing? Right. Yeah, pretty much. I wanted to say that without insulting you in any way. I, oh, just... I don't mind being insulted for that. Look, if we're going to have me it. see a four-weight strategy game and you see this one, insult me all you like. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Anyway, Patrick, what else have you been playing? 
Uh, so I got two more uh, that I might have touched on in the past, so this won't be long. But uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg we played a couple days ago. Quacks of Quedlinburg is a really fun push-your-luck game where you're trying to brew potions. And the way it works is you're drawing these little chits from a bag and you're placing them on your board equal to... Uh, X spaces away from the previous chip placed, where X equals the value of the chip you just drew. So if you drew a mm. one, you place it one space. If you drew a two, you place it two spaces away. And you keep doing that, trying to get as far as you can before your pot bubbles over and explodes. And the way it explodes is if you draw too many of the bad chip, you have bubble chips in your bag. And if you draw too many of them and your value is too high, your pot explodes and you have a little penalty for that round. And it's a really really fun game of combo building i have the expansion now the herb witches the herb witches probably and that one <laughs> yeah the herb witches well, it's a, it's a, I, I don't know it depends isn't it like because you can have the name herb but, right but i, yeah, I don't think we're talking herb. about the name <laughs> well no of course not i just i just there are people who say herb so i think it works either way i don't say herb i say herb just want to put that out there the Just British don't want to be discriminatory. <laughs> so the, um, whatever you call it, it adds a lot of more a variety of ingredients. So each round you're buying new ingredients to put into your bag, and each color has a special effect. And it's fun to see what colors are available and what combos are available and try to figure out a strategy of how to build your bag. There's a lot of variety in the game, in the game we just played. Uh, looking at the ingredients available at the beginning of the game, I'm like, ooh, there's so many options here for interesting strategies. Which one am I going to try? And, you know, you kind of try to build your bag around a strategy to combo things to see how far you can get. It's uh, very entertaining, and it has that gambling feel of, ooh, one more chip. Should I draw this one more chip? It, it's dangerous, but I think it'll work. Like, that sort of thing. It's fun. Can I ask a really stupid question? Yeah. When you say that each potion is X spaces away from another one. Mm -hmm. I know the definition of that, so that's why this is a really stupid question. Are you saying there are <laughs> X spaces between them, or it is X spaces away? So picture the board as a spiral of little uh, places to place these chits. Right, and so if, if you draw a two, is it on the second spot away from the previous one, or on the third spot away from the previous one? The, the second spot. Okay. It's so interesting because this spaces. right, this mechanic seems similar to what Ben and I just experienced in Patchwork. Because when you get to the end in Patchwork, your game is over, so you're trying to I mean, you're not drawing out of a bag and seeing how right. far away it goes, but you're still trying to minimize how far you go so you can get more points. Right. Yeah, more actions, yep. Yeah, uh, have you two played Quacks at all? It's on the list. Yeah, I I've think heard ben a lot about really it. Really appreciate yeah. it. I'm not sure about Jonah, but I think Ben would like it. I'd like to try it. I've heard a lot about it, um, mm. and I remember the expansion was like really hard to get for a while um, because the game was so popular. So I definitely like yep. to give it a shot. Cool. Uh, well, the third game I'm going to talk about, I definitely want you two to play someday. I know Jonah played it with me once. Feast for Odin. 
least for Odin, is a huge Uwe Rosenberg game where you're basically running a Norse clan. And it's a worker placement game where you can do, I don't know, 50 different worker placement actions to collect resources and try to fill up your board. I believe it's 63 or 64. It doesn't matter. It's a lot, but I remember counting last time. (laughs) And you'd think it would be overwhelming, and it kind of is when you first start, but as you play, you kind of see how it all works really well together. And I've played this game a lot. And I got to a point where I'm looking at various options, and I'm doing the math as to which one's going to give me the most points, and they all are basically like so close together that it's really a tough decision. Do I do this thing that gets me one extra point? Or do this thing that gets me one less point, but I'll have an extra coin to do something else later. It's a lot of. It's a very well designed game, and there's so many different strategies you can employ. And what I like is that you get um, these occupation cards, which give you little special bonuses throughout the game. And there are starting cards you get that are you can get a random starting card at the beginning of the game, and that kind of gives you a, at least a direction to what strategy you're going to do. So every game I play, I have a little starting card that kind of gives me some sort of inkling of how to start the game. And it's just fun to start in all these different various ways and just see what develops from there. Yeah, it's, it's great to... Oops, sorry, go on. No, that's it. I was just going to say it's great to have that starting card because like we were saying, like you were saying, you know, there are so many actions to choose from. It can feel a little overwhelming, but just starting with this card you know, okay, so that can, you know, narrow it down to 20 actions maybe to choose from right now instead of 60, which makes it mm-hmm. a lot more palatable or yep, easy yep. to decide. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is one that sounded interesting to me for quite a long time now. So uh, I will 100% take you up on that playing this in the future uh, request because I, I do want to play this one. Uh, every time you guys talk about it to it, it sounds really interesting. I mean, it does sound a little overwhelming when you say that there's that many choices, but um, I'm interested to see if my brain works for this one. <laughs> as many choices as there are, it's also important to note that these, I think it's 64, and the reason I think it's 64 is I think it's 16 rows and four columns. And the reason I say that is it's 16 actions, and then there are basically four strengths to each action, or four yes. minor alterations on each action. So once you figure out what those 16 are, you know, seeing get one sheep and get two sheep isn't really a a mental load on anyone. You can figure out what getting two sheep is from getting one sheep. So mm-hmm. once you get those f- first 16 actions down, you can figure out the upgraded ones no problem. And uh, we, I do have the expansion now, the Norwegians, which has a whole new board of actions that you play with and it the board itself scales with the number of players so that's really interesting so it's uh three sections are double-sided so depending on how many players you set it up in a certain configuration and there's a it makes the game a little more tighter and more interactive because in a two-player game there's more there's a lot less than 64 actions or whatever it is uh, because a bunch of spots are missing and some of them are combined. So you can really kind of see what your opponent's trying to do and maybe uh, block them. There's a lot more blocking in, the, in this version. Right. With 64, with a large number, with a large <laughs> yes. number of actions on the main board, someone taking your action doesn't inhibit you 
when you have so many others to choose from. It's like, oh, okay, I guess this happened, so I'll zig instead of zagging or whatever. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. All right, Feast for Odin. Also, I like the, the polyominoes on the main board. There's the a cool rule with how you have to build them out from the bottom left corner. Right? Yeah, so... Uh, you don't have to start at the bottom left corner, but it behooves you to do so because that's where your income starts. So you're trying to cover up various income spots and surround various bonus spots, and those are all starting in the bottom left. So that's why you kind of should start there. But technically, you can place tiles wherever you want. Mm-hmm. All right. I just like that we've gotten the word behooved onto this podcast. <laughs> Did Patrick say it? Yeah. What a good be- word man. He said it behooves you to start where the income starts. Yeah. Is that um, the sum of your games for the week, Patrick? Yeah, that's it for, that's it for me. Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, I only had two games this week, and it was Stick'em. Well, two games. I guess there's two new games to me, which were Stick'em and Patchwork. Um, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But in terms of games that I keep playing, um, again, I played another period of Trick Shot with my brother. Um, we're going to teach my dad, most likely, when he's up here. Uh, I think he'll enjoy it. Um, and we played Zombie Dice a couple of times because it's just quick and easy. Um, and I think I've mentioned Zombie Dice before. Um, a few times. And if, you say that each time. <laughs> I, look, I don't remember what I mentioned <laughs> the week before. But yeah, Zombie Dice is just a nice, quick, easy dice chucker. Um, so that's fun to play. And I'm trying to think because I got asked to play... So here's this is my dilemma, being a game collector on top of a game player. is uh, I feel like you're a game player my, on top of a game collector. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but I... It, you know that you know that there's an issue. Well, not really an issue for me. I don't mind, but you know that it's a bit of a pain when you look at your board game collection, and someone else looks at your board game collection and asks to play a game, and you sit there thinking, "Oh God, what game do I need to learn and teach to play right now?" So, um, there are games that I would like to play, but they might need three three players, and it's just the two of us here, or. I mean, he doesn't listen to this, and he's not awake, so he's not going to hear me. There are games that he just literally won't get. I mean, he's <laughs> like he's sticker. not he's not a he's not a gamer, and I don't think his head would wrap around some of the games that I would like to play, even at two players. Mm-hmm. Nor do I want to attempt to teach him because he's quite a poor learner of games because he's one of those "let's learn as we go, take my phone out" type of people. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's it's hard for me because I'm like, I have somebody who's looking at my games and saying, I want to play games, but then I'm like, I know you, and I don't want to teach you games. So it's, 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 it's like I'm spoiled with having someone who's willing to play, but also shooting myself in the foot by deciding not to teach him new games. Right. Maybe you should embrace the way he learns and make it work. I'll try and figure it out sometime because I like. I think the reason why would is better saved for next week's episode if I if think we're doing what we're doing. But 
I would like to play some new games this year, so this might be the way to to do it is just to deal with the fact that he learns that way and try and figure it out. But yeah, we I played a lot of the same games, and then the two new games were Stick'em and Patchwork, so that was me. Wonderful. My two games this week were also Stick'em and Patchwork, and since we already spoke about Stick'em, and since the game of the week is Patchwork, I'm going to turn okay. it back over to you, Patrick, so you can tell us all about Patchwork. Patchwork. Patrick, okay, Patchwork. Cool. That's exactly why I picked it, because it was sure. rhymes with my name. So, <laughs> Patchwork is a two-player-only game, also by Uwe Rosenberg, the designer of Feast for Odin, also using polyominoes. It's a game of building out your own little quilt of patches on your little board. And you're going to get points for how many buttons you collect along the way, and you're going to lose points for how many open spaces you have on your board. And the way the action selection works is, is that there's a ring of patches of various shapes and sizes around the main board. And when it's your turn, you're going to take one of the next three patches that are available. And there's a little marker that will move around showing which patches are available. You take one of those three, you pay however much it costs in buttons, because all patches cost buttons. And you place it anywhere you want on your board. And each patch, as like I said, has a certain size and configuration. It also has a certain amount of buttons on it. Because at various points in the game, you're going to get income equal to the number of buttons on your board. And the interesting thing about the game, one of the interesting things, is turn order is not back and forth. It's whoever is furthest back on this track. So when you take a patch, you move your marker up on the turn track, X number of spaces, where X is equal to the time on the uh, patch you just took. So there are patches that might be, uh, this patch costs three buttons, and it costs five time. So you pay your three buttons, you take the patch, you move, your marker five spaces forward. And then who's ever in the back gets to go. So depending on how far people, someone goes ahead, you could take multiple turns in a row. So there's a balance of buttons and uh, time and spaces. Right. Just to illustrate it super clearly, if Ben goes and buys the piece that Patrick said and moves five spaces forward, and then I buy one that moves me three forward, it's still my turn because I'm behind Ben, right? Correct, yes. And then if you buy another piece that moves you two forward, you're on top of Ben, which means you go first because who's ever on top will go first in the case of a tie. And that right. came into play quite a few times in our game. <laughs> in our games in multiple, <laughs> we played two. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how'd your games go? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start. Uh, I think it... So, first off, I want to say this is the easiest to learn and teach game I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, honestly. Um, I watched a two-minute video, and outside of me maybe missing one thing in the video, aka that little marker that moves around um, to tell you what patches were available, I thought, based on the video I watched, it sounded in my head like you just take three patches at a time that were next to each other but once i got that out of the way literally learned it in two minutes could teach it in two minutes and get started so that was awesome on the flip side for how easy this game was and i'm not going to say this game is mean because i don't think it's mean even though you could take pieces that someone would want but i don't think that's 
really like an inherent meanness when that's the only gameplay option you have. This is the easiest to learn and teach game I've ever played, and also the most surprisingly difficult game. Like, <laughs> for the level of entry, like the ease of entry, I didn't get positive points the entire time. Like, and I was, and I was heavily negative. Like, the fact that you lose two points per empty square and it is so hard to pick up a bunch of tiles at a time, it, it was crazy. I was minus seven and minus 17, and I thought that I did better the second game than the first game, and I ended minus 17. Even if I, I think... got that seven by seven, which is like a bonus seven points, I still would have been worse than the first game. It was crazy. So I really enjoyed it, and I, as a two-player game, I think this is a fantastic game to bring out to people who aren't, like, normal, big, like, heavy gamers. But I also think they might be discouraged by getting negative points in a game that seems so simple and also looks so, like, nice. Um, I should have warned you that guys. Su- that that yeah. surprise. I'd heard that <laughs> online, so I was prepared. I was like, oh, I've heard this game would, like, ruin relationships and stuff. And I was, like, looking for that. And I didn't see that, but it was surprisingly difficult to get positive points in a game like this. For me, if you're getting negative points, but the other person is too, I wouldn't be too upset about that. You know, if negative five beats negative three, who cares that we both scored negative? It's just 1v1. So mm-hmm. uh, I was actually able to get two positive scores. I think the first time I got two and the second time I got six or eight. I'm not sure. Ben wrote it down. I didn't write it down, so Ben can find out for me. But yeah, Patrick was really I thought you were negative in the first game, but I could be wrong. Positive. I used up all my negative points and stick them. (laughs) Yep. You were, it was two. You got two in the first one. No, and I, and I agree with you. I think if, I think if both people are getting negatives, it's not really a big deal. But at the same time, if there's a game where both people could get negatives, why not just make it where both people get positives? Well, I think that goes to show how much there is to learn in this game because I've I got negative points in my first couple games, and I'm just looking at my app now. My high score is 26. Wow! But Candy's high score is 41. So Whoa. there's a lot of room to like really well, learn what? this game and get 41. 41. In, yep. in in what world? What a genius! <laughs> no, yeah. So what I a, do, I do what this... a poor opponent. <laughs> well, I had 26, and she had 41 in one game we played. That was our highest scoring game. Oh, so wow. your, 20, your 26 didn't even win. No, it didn't win. That sucks. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's disappointing. <laughs> Would have killed us with that score. Yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, th- there's, there's definitely room to get these high scores uh, and learn the game better. Yeah, and I can definitely see that, even from, like... And, again, yeah. I'd play this game again... No problem, because it's a nice, quick game. We got two games in in just under an hour, I think. Um, and I, like I said before, the 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 balance of how much time you spend time, like how many tra- uh, spaces you move up on the track, uh, trying to balance that is definitely a point at which I feel like I could improve. Like, the first game we played, there were at least two times where Jonah had a couple of turns and then ended on the same space as me and had another turn and was able to, like, scoop three tiles in one go 
or like scoop two tiles and then still pass and get a button back and move in front of me. And I think I only ended on Jonah's space one time in the second game. And it it is like a strategy of taking trying to take these pieces that might end you in a position like that because it gives you like an extra turn for not being so far behind on the time if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i just wanted to chime in really quickly about the game setup so there are all these pieces in the bag that get randomly set up around the center board and then you move the pawn around that ring of pieces um I am very pro-randomness and then decisions, but you can get stuck with a really bad setup in this game, and I imagine you can get stuck, get not stuck, you could end up with a really good setup for this game. So the first game that Ben and I played, I think the first four or five pieces all cost like seven, eight, or nine buttons. I think maybe eight plus. So the first four or five, we couldn't even do anything with. It was just... I'll pass, I'll pass, I'll pass. Okay, we have enough buttons now, we we can start. So it was like mm-hmm. a really tough way to start it because we couldn't get any income, we couldn't buy any of the pieces, and it was a little weird to have that be our first mm-hmm. few turns in the game. Yeah, the second round set up a lot better for us. I I was going to bring that up, but I'm glad you did because I know you had mentioned it while we played as well. Yeah, I've seen that, I think, happen before, but never that drastic. So, yeah, it definitely can happen, but then it just, uh, you know, kind of gives you more starting buttons, essentially, and just start short, further up on the track. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, the it was really that, cool. The thing that I like about this game is it's, it's very simple, uh, like you said, but it has three resources, really. It's got buttons. It's got spaces on your board, and it's got time. And because it's two players, it's pretty easy to track all three of those things for you and your opponent. And it's very, you can get very, uh, almost not mean, like Ben was saying, not mean, but it's very interactive where you could really push your opponent to making hard choices or having bad choices. And that's part of the game too. There's hate drafting in this. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even not necessarily hate drafting, but there's also time killing in this game because since you move the pawn immediately after you pick a puzzle piece or a polyomino, you could realize that your opponent needs something one space ahead of the... Well, I guess it's still hate drafting, but you can realize that your opponent needs the polyomino one space ahead of the marker and draft the piece two spaces ahead of the marker and then make them have to wait a full round on the tiles just to get back to that one that they wanted. And that kills so much time in the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it can get mean. I don't think Jonah and I got mean. The only time that something came up was at the very end, and the only reason that I even brought it up was because we had said before, tile laid, tile played, before we started <laughs> playing the game, where there were two tiles that took up the exact amount of spaces, um, and Jonah had taken one and then swapped out for another one, and I was like, oh, well, that was the one I was going to take, and then we flipped back, and I ended up getting that one. It didn't matter anyway, I lost. <laughs> but um, that was the only time anything like that came up, and I mean, I wouldn't have minded switching if we hadn't 
said prior tile laid tile played but um i can definitely see like in the future how hate drafting is actually like a decent strategy because if i had potentially wasted a lot more of jonah's time maybe i would have done a little better i will say the tabletop simulator mod makes it very easy to keep track of all of the resources because there's a bowl with a legit counter that shows like in big numbers how many buttons you have so you don't need to like visually see um like in person but uh yeah no i enjoyed it i would play it again and i think this is actually like a really for how difficult the first couple games can be i think this is one that even new gamers could like grow into and i think it's uh it's gonna go into my suggestion box for people asking me for like two-player strategy suggestions oh yeah yeah definitely a good two-player game it was really cool. I I would definitely play it again. I don't feel the need to own it, but if we're killing time at a meetup and there are two players, for sure I'd play this again. And I guess with that, we should talk about other games that fill this niche. Two-player-only board games. Uh, I think we should exclude Chess, Checkers, and Go. Maybe not Checkers okay. 2000, because I know that's your pride and joy, Ben. But... Uh, <laughs> Games that are newer I, than those. Have I explained Checkers 2000, or have I just mentioned it by name? You've explained it. There I... are 2,000 pieces, and you own all of them, and your family always loses. Oh, yeah, that's... No, that's... There aren't 2,000 pieces. There's 24, but close enough. Well, if you want to start with that, you're more than welcome to. Sure, why not? Um, it's So Checkers 2000 is a game where you each have pieces numbered 1 through 12, and the board has two different layouts, um, and it's hard to explain without visually showing a board, but there's a somewhat traditional, somewhat traditional um, chess or checkers style board, but you like turn it on its side, so it's you're playing from the diagonal, so your starting pieces are in a triangle. So it's a diamond instead of a square? Yep. Uh, and then there's the reverse, where it's a reverse triangle, and you have like a pointed piece at the top, and you go out into these weird little corners. Um, but the goal of the game is to capture your opponent's 12 uh, by jumping it. But you're only allowed to jump pieces of equal or lesser value, and you are allowed to jump your own pieces. And that's the whole game. So you basically have to maneuver your way into using your 12 to jump your opponent's 12. Um, but you can jump your own pieces, meaning you can open up avenues to jump like eight different pieces of your own and then scoop around the 12 and pick it up. Nice. Did you already mention what the numbers on the pieces are? Yeah, 1 through 12. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm 99% cool. sure I mentioned that. But uh, it's fun. It's uh, definitely high up there on my to-have-played list, though uh, I'm pretty sure when I first got BG stats, I just put in like 30 plays because I know I've played it at least 30 times um, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I didn't have BG stats when I got this game. But uh, right. yeah, that one is a fun two-player game that I've played since 2000. Wow. Hence the name. Nice. Yeah. I only know two two-player-only games that I've played. Santorini. I refuse to acknowledge the rulebook stating that you can play with three or four. 
That game does not exist at more than two players. Okay, I was going to ask, do games that say you could do a team variant count? Because I have more games at two, if that counts. Like, if that doesn't count, then I have more games at two. So Yeah, well, no one, no one would ever play Santorini at more than two players. It's very clearly a two-player game. So, anyway, Santorini, right. I think, is a fantastic two-player-only game. We've covered it before. It's tons of fun. The god powers make it really fun. Ben isn't a huge fan of the god powers. He likes it more in its abstract form. I like both. Uh, the other one that I've played is Hanamakoji, which is the yes. two-player-only game about winning the favor of a geisha. And the art is fantastic. The ways that you can... The, the gameplay, I guess the tactics, are really interesting with how the cards work and what you have to play and what you know your opponent might have to play. So uh, that's really all I can contribute to this, unfortunately, but I would recommend both of those games. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I have a few games that I play semi-regularly that are two-player only, besides Patchwork. They're Shot and Totten, which uh, we talked about in a previous episode. Oh, Battle no. Line. <laughs> Battle Line is the other one. Oh, my gosh. Battle Line, I have written down for our topic later. Battle Line, 100% recommend. Continue, Patrick. Oh, yes. And um, another one by Dr. Reiner Kondisia, uh Lost Cities. Doctor. Uh, which is a, yes, which is a cool uh, two-player card game as well. I also um, will recommend one that, a game that is also listed as up to four, but that's with teams, and you should probably never play it that way. Tosh Kalar is a great two-player game of battling uh, wizards, creating patterns on a map, and fighting each other. It's really cool. Um, and Hanmakoji, I can double down and say, yeah, that's a, that's a really good one, too. I, uh, there's a lot of other two-player games i played, um, Air, Land, and Sea, or All Creatures Great and Small. There's a lot of two-player games out there, but I think I just wanted to comment quickly that the reason I like two-player games is because you can be mean, and it doesn't feel mean, because you're not making a choice to uh, of who you're being mean to. <laughs> it, right. It's just that that's part of the game. I mean, I'm trying to get more points than you, so I'm doing something that will give me more points than you. I'm not doing something against I'm not picking you out of other players I'm glad you mentioned that because in a in a more than two player game when someone is mean to you it feels extra bad because you think why weren't you mean to this other person yes which highlights why optimal moves in two player games are not mean they are just the right move right um, for me uh, I I mean, I guess this falls under a similar blanket of chess and checkers, but Hive. Uh, mm. I own Hive, Hive Pocket. Um, Hive is a chess-like game where you play as uh, these little bug tiles. Um, the difference is there's not a board. You're kind of creating the board as you go, and the board is known as the Hive. Um, but each individual bug has like a special power. Um, so as you place it, you can then move them around the board using their special powers, and the goal is to surround the queen bee of your opponent completely. It doesn't matter if it's surrounded by just your tiles or yours and your opponents together, which I think is interesting in trying to drive your opponent to like inadvertently surround their queen a little bit to help you out. Um, but I find that one to be a lot of fun. 
And I would, if we ever do a topic in the future for best travel games, this one would be probably top of the list for me because it comes in a little pouch and they're these like ceramic tiles. I don't even know. I don't think they're ceramic, but they feel like mahjong tiles. Yeah, acrylic. It was the word I was looking for. So thank you. Um, Sorry. They're like pretty heavy uh, acrylic tiles that, you know, you can take outside, put on a table, not really get worried about, and they won't get blown away by the wind or anything. So it's really nice to travel with. Um, and that one's a lot of fun. Um, another one, which I've been mentioning a lot lately is trick shot. There is a four player variant, but based on what I'm seeing, it's literally just alternate your turns. Um, so it's not really a four player game. Um, so I think trick shot is, you know, the most recent addition to my two player only collection. And, uh, I've really enjoyed that one so far. Um, another big one. Uh, I have two that are that get mixed up often when you say them close together, and that would be Unmatched and Undaunted. Um, Unmatched mm-hmm. is probably... Oh, I should have put this on my thing for our topic in a little bit. I don't know why it's not on my list, but it should be in some capacity. But uh, Unmatched, I've talked about enough. I don't think I'm going to go into too much detail, but obviously that is a two-player battle game, which I think is great. And then uh, Undaunted... I would say is an interesting variation on that two-player battle game because instead of you kind of moving main figures around trying to defeat the other figure, it's kind of similar in that you you have this little map and you're moving units around from an army trying to take objectives. So it's a little similar, but it's more um, broad in its scope, I think, um, than Unmatched is. Uh, and there is Undaunted Normandy and Undaunted North Africa. I haven't played North Africa yet, but thanks to the great people who 3D print things, I have both of them in the Undaunted North Africa box, so I don't even need the Undaunted Normandy box. I love 3D printing. Um, <laughs> I I have other two... So I want to mention one two-player game that I've looked at a lot, and I'm dying to play it. And Patrick, I know we've talked about it before, and that's claustrophobia. Um, oh, yes, now yes, for, I have it. I completely forgot yeah. about that. Now, for me, I have claustrophobia 1643, I think is the number. Um, they It's right. like a... Yeah, 1643. And this is like a redone version of the original, and this one was done by Mythic Games, so it's got miniatures and all that stuff. But this one is like a two-player... Um, strategy game where one player is like infernal forces trying to keep uh the human forces from like exiting the pits of hell basically um or yeah is i it have hell? the original uh, i have the yeah. i had the original one i sold it recently but it's really unique setting well i guess it's it's a the idea is that there is a demons coming up from under the ground and then uh, this priest decides to fight them off with the help of some prisoners that, that he takes from the local prison that makes them volunteer to go into the catacombs and fight and fight these things off. But it's really cool mechanics where uh, it's dice uh, placements. So for the good guys, you're rolling dice and you're placing the dice on each of your heroes. And for the bad guys, you're rolling the dice and you're using those dice to do special powers. And they they play very differently, but they're both really fun to play. Yeah, and what what interested me 
I think the most about it when I was looking into it. And again, I haven't played it yet, but I want to pretty badly. Um, so hopefully I can get to it this year at some point. But what <laughs> interested me the most is like when you take damage, you have to decide like where to put the damage marker, which then like negates your ability to use that number die roll to yes. use that mm -hmm. power later, which is really yeah. cool looking. Yeah, it's very uh, it's very abstract and like simple. Like they simplify all the annoying rules for for these type of games. So yeah, you just kind of block off a row if you take damage. You're like, okay, now I can't place a three on this guy, so it's going to be harder to do things. And then yeah. uh, they do similar things with movement. So movement is very straightforward. You just move from one tile to the next tile, and every figure blocks another figure. So if you have two bad guys and three heroes, you can only move one hero out of that tile. And it's just very simple and fast how things work like that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to play that one. And then the final one that I'd like to mention, because I, I would feel uh, remiss if I did not mention it, uh, is Hate uh, by Coleman oh, yeah. Not. That's uh, two-player only? Yeah, Hate is the world's largest two-player only game, I think. Um, the box is literally like the size i can't even describe it the box is gigantic it's two player only um you can only play with more than two players if you buy the uh multi-game set which allows you to use extra pieces to make two two-player games um so so it is only ever two players um but you're playing as these uh tribes in this ridiculous like apocalyptic setting and they like eat each other and stuff and you're fighting over like locations but you can like drag your opponent's dead bodies back to your you know settlement and like cook them to gain new powers for like the next game because it's like a slight ongoing campaign but you can also just play as like a one-off battle um but i would feel i would feel uh bad if i never if i didn't mention that because that's the largest two-player game i've got yeah, I, I have played it, and I know Scott wanted to get a multiplayer game going where it's like a tournament where two people fight each other and then uh, two other people fight each other and you kind of have like a tournament bracket leading up to a winner. There's some me mechanism for doing that in the game. Yep, but the games it's themselves are 2-1v-1. Um, yep. yep. I just want to chime in really quickly. Uh, I'm realizing that I've actually played a lot of two-player only games. It just mm -hmm. seems that every single one I've played has been forgettable for me. Uh, I've played Hive. Uh, I've played Jaipur. I've played oh. War Chest. A lot of people love all these games. Patrick, I guess you've played Jaipur as well, right? Oh, I forgot how much I love Jaipur, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Jaipur is a two-player only game that I thought was okay. War Chest oh. is a two-player only game that I thought was okay. Morals is supposed to be really good, but I haven't played it, so I'd like to give that a go sometime. But I think there aren't that many two-player-only games that really uh, satisfy my board game requirements, I guess. Yeah, I feel like you can just play... It, it does feel like two-player-only games are, are less um, involved than multiplayer games. I haven't found like a really heavy two-player-only game. Uh, where we can just play like two-player Feast for Odin, for example, <laughs> to fill that niche. Yeah, right. and I was gonna say, I think my I think my ideal two-player game is a heavier multiplayer game that works well at two players. If that makes sense. Likewise. Yes. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So. But uh, yeah, I mean. I, looking at what I own, I'm I am kind of surprised at how many two-player only games I own, 
but at the same time, it's giving me some good ideas of what I can play with my brother now that I'm looking at this board. Maybe I'll teach him Hive. I mean, I doubt he'll understand it uh, conceptually, but maybe I'll teach him Hive. Yeah, go with that. Now, let me just say, now, let me just say, (laughs) I mean, maybe I'll try patchwork with him if I can find a way to get him to play somehow because I don't own it. But uh, let me just say, because it's fun to make fun of your siblings, uh, for someone with, for someone who can't read very well, he's the best Scrabble player I've ever, I've ever played with. (laughs) So congratulations to him on being fantastic at Scrabble. Also, he wants me to specifically mention, because I guess sometimes when he's awake and we're recording this, he can hear me through the door. He wants me to specifically mention that uh, he whoops me at every game. And anytime I mention beating him, it's because I got lucky. So he wants me to specifically tell our <laughs> listeners that. What a nice man. Well, yeah, we all know the truth, which I won't yep. say. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure he's the only person with a higher win percentage against me than Jonah that's played more than like 10 games with me. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Is that it for our uh, mini two player topic? Yeah, I think so. Okay, let's move on to our big topic of the week, and that is a quick look back at 2020, which we will refer to as hindsight is 2020. Uh, So 2020 was a different year of board gaming than every other year, seeing as the world shifted online. Uh, All of our gaming, for the most part, shifted online, unless you are someone like Patrick and live with two other people. (laughs) Yes, lucky. So we had some changes to our hobby last year, and with that, we wanted to look back at how the year went and, you know, look at some favorite gaming moments, new games that we really liked, etc. So, Ben, why don't you start us off with one of the mini questions ideas you came up with sure um so the first thing that came to mind when i was trying to come up with like little categories was um favorite and or key gaming moments through the year um because i know it was a different year so i wanted to kind of look back at like what my favorite gaming moment of this year was and also once covid really took hold what were some key moments throughout the year after that because my my favorite moment was before covid started um and for me uh i don't know if it's going to be the same for all of us but for me my my favorite gaming moment this year was uh, our goat game day our greatest of all time game day oh wow that was this year crazy yeah it's actually nuts that was way back that was probably what like two weeks or three weeks before everything started shutting down it was like really close to the close to the end of normal life um but that was, as I think we've described before, uh, four players, and we each picked our favorite or one of our favorite board games, and we just played all of them in a row. Um, and I believe it was myself, Jonah, Patrick, and Rich, and the games were Mythic Battles Pantheon. Was it Food Chain Magnet, or did you pick something different? I think it was Food Chain Magnet. <laughs> I think I picked um, that, yeah. Uh, Tolkien. And Patrick, why am I blanking on what you picked? Space Base. Space Base. Space Base. Space Base. It probably got overshadowed in like the largeness of the other games because it was a nice... I know, I picked something bre- small to, to compare, to compete. <laughs> it, was a, it, it was a nice little breather in the middle there. But yeah. no, I think that was my favorite gaming moment before before COVID 
um, really kicked in. I'm glad you mentioned um, this because other... this was mine as well. This oh, yeah. number figured... one for me, and I would like to do it again someday. I mean, first of all, just the idea of playing four board games in a row is fantastic. So just even without <laughs> being everyone's favorites, that's, you know, an ideal day of gaming for me. But yeah, the idea that we just each pick a favorite game and then play them back to back to back to back, I thought was really great. I agree. It was definitely up there for me as well, uh, but I didn't put it on my list, so don't feel bad. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I'm upset. I, uh, I, I, I had some just like cool little moments from board games that I wanted to quickly touch on. Uh, first was the climax of King's Dilemma, which was a 16-session-long uh, campaign board game that we played. We started in person. We ended up online. And the last game, I won't spoil what happens, but I will say that we paused the last game before the climactic decision, and we said, we're, let's meet in two days, and we'll do this thing. So those two days were spent basically texting all the people in the game and trying to come up with plans, and it felt very, like, it did feel very Game of Thrones, where I was, like, lying to some people, I was telling the truth to others, I was trying to get people Sweet. to do certain things. And that was a really fun experience. And uh, it didn't work for me. It worked for King Greg. <laughs> so, but, uh, but it was it was definitely a, a unique experience for board gaming. Honestly, that bit right there is the first thing that I've heard that makes me want to try the game. I know that the uh, game is really popular, but I like mm-hmm. hearing that there's like out of game Intrigue. stuff that could be yeah that could be brought in to make it a little more like spicy i guess i would say mm-hmm. uh is yeah. is interesting to me um so i would maybe when uh things settle down and we can game in person again i'd like to give that a shot yeah um, is that now i have a i do have a question about that game is that a game that can be played again by the same person because things change each time or is it like a set I mean, I don't know if that's too much of a spoiler. You could just say yes or no. Like, is it something that you could play again reasonably? I believe I could play again. I I believe I can play again. There are so many envelopes we didn't open, and I may remember, have vague memories of what the results might be for certain votes, but that's not going to determine how well I do in the game. So, And this is playing again with a different copy? Yes, you have to play with a different copy because okay. there's so many stickers you put on the board and so many envelopes you open up. Right. That uh, the copy that I had is unplayable, even though I did sell it to somebody who just wanted the pieces. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. All right, I just want to uh, chime but... in with my one other one because I only thought of two favorite gaming moments because I didn't want to think too hard, I guess. Uh, The other one was just starting a podcast. Uh, I've had a good time doing this, and it's fun to just, like, get all of my friends from the different corners of the world to hop on and talk about board games. So I'm glad that we started this, and I'm glad that we're still doing it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, It's been fun. Yeah, I enjoy listening every week and then being on every other other week. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I, I do have, I have two more, but uh, one of them is quick and the other one is slightly longer than quick, but still quickish. Um, <laughs> my, my very quick one was I am, it's coming to a close in a couple of sessions, but starting a D&D campaign, 
um, oh. and DMing for the first time, I never really thought that I would be able to like jump in and run a story. I mean, I'd played RPGs before. Patrick, you run pretty much everyone that I'm a part of. Um, but I never really thought that I would be able to jump in and like plan something out and react to players doing things and come up with a story around it. Uh, so that's been fun. I've enjoyed that. Um, and I'd like to do it again in the future. I think that would be, I mean, preferably in person, I think would be more fun. Um, but it's been really cool to like develop a story around this world that I created. Um, and then nice. another one was finally like after three years or what feels like three years of not playing it, uh, I finally got to play a six player game of Cthulhu Wars. Uh, oh. and it was, and this was like back, I think it was, this was in like end of January and it was just this big, long Cthulhu Wars game. And it was the first time I'd played it since I think three years ago at Paul and Nadia's 24 hour game day. Um, when it was almost ruined for me, uh, the game by someone complaining oh, I, I the whole time. That. <laughs> Uh, and it was the first time I'd played since, and fun fact, I still don't have my copy back because they're painting it, and I don't know if they're still painting it, but, well, it is what it is, but, uh, I played a six-player game, and it was fantastic, and I can't wait to play it again, because I really enjoyed it, and those were my, that was my other two key moments this year that stood out to me. We should have Nadia or Paul on the podcast. I agree. Yeah, they'd be good guests. We can reach I have a, two quick uh, little ones as well. One was our New Year's Eve uh, event that we did, Candy Ray and I. We played a game of Nightmare, the VCR board game. <clears throat> you still have a VCR? And, no, well, you of can course. watch the video on YouTube. I actually oh. do have a VCR, yes. But we played <laughs> at Candy's place, so... Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we, you having a VCR is not a surprise to me, not in like any offensive way, no, but no. I just know you like movies and also uh -huh. you're, you have eclectic things, so having a VCR uh -huh. is very fitting. So this, this game, I have the game, have the VHS tape, but we played the YouTube video <clears throat> and um, we timed it so that when you start the video, it will end at exactly midnight. And the goal was to, the goal of this game is to try to beat the crypt, the, uh, the, gatekeeper who's just this guy on the tv who's messing with you throughout the entire game you're collecting these keys you're trying to get to the center and escape before the video ends and uh so we had to end at exactly midnight candy escaped early ray and i came down to the wire uh with like you know one minute left we're rolling dice we're trying to frantically escape ray escapes i get my chance to escape and to escape you have to draw from the center of the board, these things where everyone had written down their worst fear. And if you draw your worst fear, you automatically lose. So I got to a point where I could draw, and of course I drew my worst fear, and I lost. And then, mm, happy new year. That's so cool. <laughs> it was a, it was a pretty cool, really, pretty cool really timing. Weird. I wonder yeah. what fear I would pick. <laughs> Spiders. Uh, I, it's definitely a fun game to play, just because the video is so off the wall and hilarious. So I, yeah. I own a copy. Well, I, I play. I'll play it every couple years. So if you guys want to play, we should do it. I'm down. I'm down <laughs> to give it a shot. Also, honestly, I think mine would be. I think mine would be needles, not spiders. So, ah, I don't know. Okay. 
We'll see. <laughs> yeah, this getting this vaccine is going to be fun. I'm going to I'm going to cry in the CVS again. Like I did oh, for God. my flu shot. <laughs> oh. oh, Ben. <laughs> I cut, I cut, my, my mom was there. She was holding my hand, but laughing at me at the same time. And I was covering my head with my jacket and crying under my jacket in the middle of a CVS. So that was a good time. Real men also <laughs> cry. I mean, I'm not well, saying I don't. Mr. Lebowski himself. I'm not saying that's not true. But I, I, did, kick, I did kick my doctor once. So now they need three nurses to hold me down. And they give me a lot uh, they give me a lollipop at the end which is nice so oh, wow it's the, all worth it for the, the doctor lollipop. yeah the doctor doesn't come in the room anymore so <laughs> not not since the incident <laughs> correct patrick did you say you had another favorite moment yeah real fast there was a game of shia and there's always fun moments in shia and this particular game was three player with candy ray and i and i was two points away from winning Candy was stranded, and you're allowed to give someone energy if they're stranded to get a to get a point. So I was like, "Don't worry, I'll come give you I'll come give you some energy." So I went up to her, and instead of giving her energy, I blew her away with my missiles and then rammed her until she exploded, <laughs> giving me <clears throat> one point, which was almost enough to win. I just had to drag her body to oh, a planet gosh. to finish a mission, and I Sounds went like to, hate. to drag. Yeah, I went to drag her ship to the deliver it to the mission point to get my final point. And Ray blew me up on my way, so I didn't get I didn't get my last point, but it was okay. I still won. It just took another round for me to <laughs> to to make it work. It was oh, a fun, man. exciting ending. <laughs> Wait, so I do have to ask because I know the rules of Shia and how many points you get for blowing somebody up. So she was still a level one ship. So I, I might have misspoken with how many points I had left to oh, win. Oh, okay. But it, I just I wanted was to check. I very close to winning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think she I was, was going to say being two ship. Okay. I mean, it's it's possible to be a level one ship the whole game. I just oh, yeah. I figured yeah. I would ask. Um, I think if we ever get our multi galaxy Shia game in, that would be my top game experience of a year. Uh, we'll do whenever it. Whenever we do, it'll that. happen. Yeah, a hundred percent. I want to transition next to new games that we played last year because I want to talk about uh, we'll talk about you know new game of the year but I have new to me game of the year and 2020 game of the year because I think it's important to have that distinction Uh, so we'll talk about new games new games that surprisingly were good surprisingly were bad etc first off how many new to you games did you play in 2020 uh going through my list and counting i apparently played 48 new games this year wow that's remarkable i have 46 so we were really close (laughs) and i I had 36 36 i feel like most of our games were together all right so we each have uh three new games per month which is great and now that we have announced how many new games we have played, do you guys want to talk about... Uh, so I have standout new games to me, surprise of the year, disappointment of the year. Which do you want to go into first? Um, oh, wait, I never put this game in my list. I have 49. <laughs> the, funny, the funniest thing was my, my, my surprise of the year, which is how I was categorizing new to me game of the year in my head. Uh, I apparently wasn't in my BG stats app, mm. but uh, mm. 
So let's start with that one. Surprise of the year? Yeah. All right. Why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, my surprise of the year was Soul, Last Days of a Star. Oh, um, did you play that for the first time this year? Yes, I did. Um, so it was new to me this year. I mean, to be fair, my, ga- my, my game of the year, personal game of the year, was also technically new to me this year. Um, but this one was my biggest surprise. Um because I, I didn't really know what to expect. And it, I mean, obviously, when a game is going for $150 plus because you can't get it and it's clearly popular, you kind of go in with expectations. And usually, if you go in with expectations on things, you are let down. Or mm-hmm. at least it just barely gets over that hype. This one was really good. I thought it was really, really cool. I want to play again. I want to own it, so whenever their new Kickstarter comes out and they reprint it, I'm going to be buying a copy. Um, I just I think the shared infrastructure of those gates and trying to figure out the best way to place those gates so that other people will, you know, use your gates instead of like wanting to build their own. I think like is a nice little race to try and place them in good spots and get closer and closer to the sun. Um, I. I just, I really enjoyed it when we played, and it, it was a surprise to me that it actually stood up to, like, I could see why people wanted the game, even at the price it was going for. I wouldn't mm-hmm. pay that much for it, personally, but I could see why people would, and that kind of surprised me, so that was my surprise of the year. Wonderful. My surprise of the year is uh, kind of two or threefold. Um, so my surprise of the year was Age of Steam because I had never played a train game before. And because of Age of Steam, I was encouraged to then go and try out some 18xx games, well, one 18xx game more than once, and Tokyo Metro. And I quite liked Tokyo Metro, and I also thought Age of Steam was pretty cool, and I was not really anticipating enjoying these games with trains and stocks as much as I did. So because of that, Age of Steam gets my surprise of the year with a tie-in to Tokyo Metro. How about you, Patrick? Uh, My surprise of the year was a game that I played with Greg that I didn't think I was going to like at all because it's one of those huge big-box Kickstarter games. It's Imperial Spells and Steam. And... We played it uh, before the pandemic hit. We got to play it in person, and it was a lot of fun. It's got really great components, and it's um, literally an engine builder because you're kind of building this train sort of a track of actions, and you can do certain actions that will let you do other actions depending on where they are on this board, and it's definitely the type of game I like. And because it's such a big Kickstarter box, there's so many options for what will come up in the game that I feel like there's a lot of variety for future plays, which is something that I'm really interested in to find a game that, you know, you can play uh, multiple times and still keep getting a lot out of it. I think that is potential. I just wish I I got to play it more than once. (laughs) Yeah, this one, this one was up there for me as well. Um, I actually did find somebody selling it for a decent price and I bought it after I played Greg's copy of it. Um, 
it, it has every, it ticks the boxes for me as well in terms of being like a big box high production value game mm-hmm. um, but I also agree um, I think the mechanics of the game itself were surprisingly good for you know such a I don't want to say like overproduced game <laughs> but typically typically when you find games this big with this much stuff in the box it's usually not fully fleshed out but i think they did a good job fleshing out the whole experience in this box so yeah the core game is good and that's that's the the trick uh, I, I think that usually kickstarters will gloss over the core game in favor of you know lots the bling. of stuff <laughs> yeah the bling <laughs> wonderful let's now talk about disappointment of the year i have two in this category uh disappointment of the year for me, for sure, is Brass Birmingham. Uh, Brass Birmingham is a game that is talked up so much, it is so high on everyone's list, and pretty much everyone who sees anyone say they like Food Chain Magnate says, oh, you have to try Brass Birmingham. So forever I have seen people talk about Brass and Food Chain, and I say, okay, I have to give it a go because everyone is telling me to play it. Garbage. That game is so bad, so uninteresting, I never have to play it again. I don't ever want to play it again. And I was so upset to not like it. Because everyone talks about how good it is, and I hate seeing it at the top of all these lists. Everyone is wrong except me. And Rand. <laughs> well, I, I want to jump in, because that was also my choice for the biggest disappointment of the year. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. I, we played it together. And I, I played it uh, afterwards with Candy as well, just because I wanted to see if it got any better. And I am not, I didn't dislike it as much as you, but I think it was definitely a game that was pretty forgettable in my mind. And for something being so talked up and so high on the BTG list, I was expecting a lot more. And <clears throat> maybe there's, you know, a lot more if you keep playing it, but it just wasn't that interesting to play. So I have no desire I... to try it again. I played it, I think, four times. I really gave it the college try. And mm-hmm. I I didn't see anything there. And if I have to play a game more than four times to start to have any interest in it, it's not for me. Definitely not for me. But uh, second... One, go on. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to add in for Brass specifically. This one's kind of like middle of the pack for me. I do like it enough to own it. Um, but it's not like... I don't see how it's... I think it's number three right now on BGG, which I don't... I, it's gross. I, I agree. I don't understand that. I think that's just because of, like, hype a little bit, or a lot of bit. I will say I do not even remotely see a similarity to Food Chain Magnet at all. I, I don't. I, at all. I don't see... I don't see how people could say, if you like Food Chain, you'll like... It. Like, when you mentioned that, I was like, what? <laughs> In my head, I was like, that makes yeah. no sense. I don't... Yes, but... Other than that, I do like it enough to own it. I would play it again, but it's it's kind of middle of the pack in terms of the games I own. I wouldn't say it's like top top, but it's I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, second disappointment of the year uh, is Barrage for me. Barrage mm-hmm. is a game about uh, water flowing down some dams or through some dams. I guess is the better way to say that. Uh, anyway. This is another game that is up there with Brass and Food Chain in the thinky, kind of mean, 
almost economic games. This one is more in the worker placement sphere than the economic sphere, I would say. Um, yeah, Barrage got a lot of buzz in the last year or two for being a really great game, and it uh, fell kind of flat for me. So, Barrage. Hmm. Uh, just to add about Barrage, because I feel like I've talked about it in the past. Barrage is another one that I would like to own, but I would rather play Tracarian at this think level, so I'm not going to be upset if I don't end up owning it. But I did. Th- I th- I thought it was neat enough, um, but it's definitely one of those ones that is surpassed by a game I already own. So I don't really feel the need to own it myself. Right. So do you have disappointments, Ben? Uh, yeah, I didn't even. I was about to say, why don't you move us on to the next category, Patrick? But didn't realize I didn't say my disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, So, speaking of big Kickstarter games, and I do personally think this is going to be fixed with the upcoming... And this is... Okay, so I just... A mini rant. If Jonah can have a mini rant, I can have a mini rant. Um, I love Kickstarter games. Uh, I love the bling of Kickstarter games. I love big box Kickstarter games. I love miniatures. I love all that stuff. However... I will say it's getting a little tiresome to buy a game on Kickstarter where they seemingly gloss over the core game and then they release an expansion and you need to gamble on the expansion fixing the base game. Now, based on everything I've seen, this one's not so much of a gamble. It looks like it's going to fix the base game in every way I want the base game fixed. But my base game disappointment is Cloudspire, which is somewhat surprising, I would say, because it fits literally every box of what I love about Kickstarter games in terms of production value, uh, these big, stupid, chunky miniatures that are like unnecessary but also when you play the game kind of necessary because they stack chips out of the way which is kind of nice um but cloudspire is a tower defense style um board game from chip theory games um so each of your characters is like this little chip but there's so much information on each chip that they need to print out these uh player aids for you but every single faction is so different that if you play the game as one person and you've never played before you won't have any idea what the other player can do and you're just like completely yeah so like jonah and i played two games against each other and we eventually got to a point where like all of the people on my team were like dead because i didn't know what jonah's faction could do and then he just walked (laughs) up to my walked up to my tower and destroyed it and like i was it's my it's my disappointment of the year because I had really high hopes for it. However, the new expansion introduces these factions that look really cool. It reprints all of the game materials pretty much to be much better explained. Um, the player aids are they've shown they've shown examples of the new upcoming player aids. They are a hundred times clearer and easier to read. Um, they made rules clarifications. So again, it's getting tiresome to buy a game where something like this is necessary, but I'm willing to give it a shot for this one. Um, But the base game itself was my disappointment of the year. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like 
Kickstarter bloat <laughs> right there. Yep, yep. And I'm surprised. And I was surprised because Chip Theory Games typically doesn't gloss over their... Um, in my opinion, they typically don't gloss over their their games that much. Like, Too Many Bones is a good game. So I was mm-hmm. surprised. Uh, Patrick, what uh, what category would you like to talk about next? Um, I guess we should uh, save the best games for last. So maybe we could talk about our least favorite mechanic, game-specific mechanic of the year. I will jump in with uh, long turns. So this is not just people who take their time on their turn, although that does enhance this. It's the games that give you turns that involve multiple steps and multiple things. So when it's your turn, you have, you know, a whole bunch of things you have to do. You have to get income, you got to move things around, you got to do this phase, that phase, etc. I'm looking at Mage Knight, Star Trek Ascendancy, big games like that. And then everyone else just got to watch and wait till it's their turn. And when you have a couple players, it could be, you know, 30, 40 minutes before you get a turn in some of those games. And I'm starting to be like, no, I don't want to play those games. I, I like big games, but give me uh, a small s- small set of things to do on someone's turn, and we just have more turns. Right. Yeah. Uh, on the Game Brain podcast, Jennifer always talks about these games that have meaningful decisions, but that can be made quickly. So, you know, mm-hmm. you have all these many good turns instead of few long thinky turns. And it definitely makes the game go by more smoothly and I think probably faster as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Ben's least favorite mechanic is... Uh, can I guess, Ben? Uh, sure. I don't think you're going to get it, but sure. <laughs> Your least favorite in-game mechanic is important turn order when you can't change it so you are when you want to be. Just thinking about how much you hate that in King is Dead. What the hell? <laughs> my, my literal thing is turn order mechanic in King is Dead. Yeah? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes! That's literally what I wrote down. My oh, game, so my least favorite here. game specific mechanic was is the way you, you have no control. You have almost zero control over turn order in the King is Dead. And I, I love don't it. like that. But uh, really I'm quick, I'd like to just go back. Important. I'd like to just go back really quickly about so the game that I was thinking of when Patrick you said long turns. For some reason, for me, and this is what the only thing I really remember about playing it was Catan, because. I like games where it gives you one thing to do and then it's the next person and it just keeps going around and it's like maybe you'll get like two things to do but for me like all I remember from playing Catan and I've only played it once and I only need to play it once but the only thing I really remember from Catan is you can do as much on your turn as you can do Mm -hmm. and that bothered me I'm sitting here like you're trying to trade eight different things with like everybody else and it's taking you like 10 minutes to try and figure out your whole turn and then the next person does it and i'm like just let them do like one trade and then the next person's turn one trade then the next part like i don't need to see you try and make multiple trades just because you have the ability to uh but yes jonah you got my mechanic right 
I I'm honestly thought you were I honestly thought you were going to say something about trick taking and I didn't think you were going to get it at all. But uh congratulations. I know you, ben. you know me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was my mechanic was turn order pass reset in the king is dead. People can't see me right now but I'm smiling. <laughs> yeah. Jonah's very happy. Do you want to guess mine? <laughs> Uh, uh, something to do with randomness, but I don't know. Yeah, which that's one. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I, I was gonna say randomness after decision making in Shia or something. I don't know. So this is a 2020 centric topic, and oh, with that in mind, my least the favorite table, mechanic. Virtual. I would stop talking if you were correct. But you're not, so I'm continuing. Uh, <laughs> solo gaming. Uh-huh. I tried solo gaming this year. Not because I wanted to, but because I was so desperate to play a board game that I was willing to give it a shot. And I don't like it. The end. I don't like it. I wish I did. But I'd rather play a video game. And I tried, you know, we talked about Anachrony's infinite dimension box that showed up last week. And I said, all right, well, let me give the solo mode a go in this, because they refined it, revised it, shipped a new one with it. Ugh. I don't like it. I don't like solo gaming. There was, I was spending my whole round of actions building up to doing this one thing, and then I roll a die, and the solo mode's like, oh, I'm going to take this one piece that you just spent four turns trying to get at. I packed up the game. I just stopped. Yeah. That's not interesting to me. I can't plan about... I can't plan against a solo opponent. I can think, what does Ben want to do on his turn and plan for it? I can't do that in a solo game, And apparent, And it. apparently you know me too well, so that's, that's right. why I always lose. <laughs> <All right. laughs> What does this die want to do when I roll it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Misery. I mean, it's... Solo games aren't just die rolls. So, like, Pax Pamir has a pretty interesting one with cards and knowing the allegiance of the Wakan, which is the solo opponent, and how that works. But, uh, you know, Pax Pamir I thought was a kind of cool solo mode. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I just think solo gaming is not for me. That's yes. Fair. Thank you. Thank I you mean, for coming probably... to my rant. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And then you guys want to do favorite, right? Yeah, I mean, we might as well roll least favorite into favorite mechanic. All right. right? After favorite. Jonah, wait, can you guess mine? Oh, no. I didn't think about it. Patrick, you start talking about yours, and I'll think about Ben's for <laughs> one minute. Okay. So, my favorite mechanic of the year is sort of a, I guess, uh, the broad term to describe it is variety. So there are a couple games where we, uh, the core game itself is really good, but the joy of the game is all the little things that are available during setup that make it a unique experience each time you play. So I know, Jonah, you talked about um, Food Chain Magnet being a system that you could make into uh, very different games depending on how you set it up. So that's kind of what I'm going for here. 
the big examples feast for odin um because of the variety of cards and the variety of options every game feels like i could play this game a million times and i'd have different strategies each time and i really like that tapestry is another good one where the combinations of cards and civilizations and all the various uh things that appear in the game make for very unique experiences uh if you could sum this up in one word what would this one word be (laughs) replayability replayability yes that's it yeah um Shia, of course, is a really good example of that, where there's just so much content that, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And to a lesser extent, Marco Polo, because of how the uh, cards are laid out at the beginning of the game, it's going to point you towards very different strategies. But uh, I think the because I'm stuck at home and have the opportunity to play a lot of uh, different games, I'm playing the games I like more and more. And the games I like are the ones that give me... Uh, unique experiences each time so that's my mechanic wonderful all right i figured you out ben are you ready now wait wait before (laughs) i before you guess i want to tell you the mechanic comes from the game i don't want to hint no no it's not i mean i don't know if okay fine just go for it (laughs) if you get this i'm just leaving the podcast (laughs) is it the legacy aspect in pandemic legacy season zero ah dang it uh, so the hint, the hint I was going to give you was if I, I actually had this game as my surprise of the year, and then I crossed it out and put Soul, um, and that is the. So I hate the word tableau, but the tableau building slash stacking aspect of Castell. Mm. That was that was my favorite in-game mechanic this year. I thought maneuvering your uh stack of humans to fit various performances and setups while also upgrading it to be able to like hold more that was a very satisfying mechanic for me to play throughout you know the couple of games of castell that i got in this year so that was my favorite game specific mechanic this year all right that one i didn't think you were gonna get but I also didn't think you were going to get the other one, so I figured I'd let you guess. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, so, my favorite in-game mechanic is going to answer what my favorite 2020 game release game is, and that's fine. Uh, it also... So I'm just going to talk taxonomy really quickly. I separated standout new games to me from new game of the year from 2020 release game of the year. So my standout new games are not in the previous one. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is my favorite in-game mechanic from 2020 was a fully cooperative trick-taking game. There were plenty of mechanics that I had played before and loved so you know I don't want to say modular expansions or uh, some replayability stuff like modular player powers or different board setups because I've done all that before so I didn't really I didn't feel right looking back at 2020 and saying that was my favorite in-game mechanic so for me it is fully cooperative trick-taking which 
of course, is from the crew. But I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, and with yep. that, let's move over to standout new games. So, you know, with 36-plus new games played for each of us, I figure we have some good and some bad. Uh, I'm going to start with my standout new games to me, and two of them, I'm going to say, were excluded from the surprise category because there could not have been a surprise for me. And those two games are Bus and The Great Zimbabwe. So we like Food Chain Magnate a little bit, some of us, um, but I do feel that I can say the three of us like Food Chain Magnate, right? Uh, so from that, I didn't feel like trying another splatter game and liking it would have been a surprise. So because of that, I didn't want to say that I was surprised that I liked Bus or The Great Zimbabwe. But since they were, in fact, new games to me in 2020, they made the list. So standout new games to me. Bus, The Great Zimbabwe, Tokyo Metro, The Crew, and then I also have Tichu. Played it for the first time this past year. Wasn't a surprise that I liked it, but it was a new game, so made the list. Uh, Hansa Teutonica. I actually quite liked, even though it is the driest themed game in the world that is just moving cubes around. <laughs> um, yeah. And then also Battle Line. Like I was saying, two-player games are not memorable for me, but I actually quite liked Battle Line. And there's my list. Nice. Ben? Yeah, so... My game of the year, and again, it's a twenty, it's a late 2019 game, but new to me, 2020. But my overall game of the year is is Bus. Um, that's my number one game of the year, according to that board game battle thing that we did online. It's my top game overall. I apparently would rather play that than any other game I own, but whether or not that's true is kind of dependent on the moment, I think. But Bus was my number one game uh, of the year. That's just Overall? 2020 release game of the year, right? Because I didn't say my new-to-me game of the years. Uh, well, technically it was a 2019 release, but it was so late in 2019, from what I recall, that I'm going to put it in 2020. So, yeah, um, I would say that that is probably accurate. Um, games that stood out to me that I played for the first time this year, even if they weren't released this year overall... Um, Clans of Caledonia, I apparently played for the first time this year, and I really like that one. Um, I'm trying to... Re Everything is blending together so much, I don't remember... It would be a late edition. I don't remember if Trickshot came in in January or, like, the last week of December. But, I mean, Trickshot, honestly, is the biggest surprise I oh, man. could possibly imagine. I was thinking last I, January, and I'm thinking that did not come in a year ago, Ben. But I understand what you're yeah, saying now. Last month right. or this month. Let me, yeah, let me check when I actually wrote my first play of it in my notebook. Uh, December 28th and 29th, so technically 2020. Um, I would Perfect. say Trickshot, I, I was fully expecting to be disappointed, to be honest. I was like, how are they going to make a hockey board game? And my mm -hmm. family loves hockey so much. Mm -hmm. I really didn't think that it would be possible to make that a success. 
I knew it was going to be good when I played it at PAX Unplugged. Uh, not this past year, but obviously 2019's PAX Unplugged. And I liked it a lot then. But it literally just surprised the heck out of me with how good it, I actually think it is. And maybe I'm biased because we love hockey so much. But honestly, I'm very, very surprised at how well they did um, kind of converting hockey into a board game. Um, and I'm glad it came in in 2020 because then I can officially say that it was a, a welcome surprise. Um, and yeah, th- those are my kind of my two 2020s. It was like beginning of 2020, end of 2020. But those were like the standout games. I will say I'll, I'll throw Pandemic Legacy in there because it was so different than anything I've played. And I really enjoyed that a lot as well. So I would say that that would be like in the middle. Um, but yeah, those are the two that stood out to me the most, I think. All right, Patrick. Three. All right, so I, uh, or I'm do- I guess I'm doing both categories, my new to me 2020 and then just new in 2020 best games. Yes. So new to me for 2020 is Grand Austria Hotel, which I've never played before. I got to play for the first time this year and really enjoyed it. It's a... Uh, kind of fits that that groove of games I like, um, you know, dice manipulation, sort of combo building, uh, various ways to get points, and lots to think about. So I uh, really enjoyed it. Love to get my own copy. Unfortunately, I uh, it's a little harder to find, but I'll get one eventually. <laughs> also new to me, which uh, kind of a cheat, but I think you will approve is the expansion to feast for odin the norwegians which i got this this year for my birthday and it is a super cool addition to the game makes the game an already infinitely replayable game even more replayable so that's definitely a definitely a highlight for games that came out in 2020 um i have three uh pretty good ones pendulum came out this year Pendulum, I like because it's so different. That's that real-time worker placement game where you're all placing workers at the same time. So it's it's cool to play. It's fun. It's different. Definitely not a top-tier game, but one I still enjoy. And uh, Nova Luna, also oh. by Uwe Rosenberg. Yeah, Nova Luna was a game I played for the first time this year. It just came out. was a Spiel de Jar nominee. And it's basically a multiplayer patchwork. So it's very similar to patchwork, the same action selection uh, turn order mechanic, except you're trying to get these color tiles that form different combinations on your board in order to place chips on them. And if you can place all your chips before other people do, you win. Hmm. It's fun. It's a good one. And then the one that beat that game for the Spiel des Jahres game of the year is The Crew as my number one 2020 release. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with that game. It's so much fun and a really unique, unique game. Yeah. Awesome. Let's now do new to me game of the year. So didn't have to be released in 2020, just a game that you played for the first time last year that is your new game of the year, if that's a different thing for you too. It was a different thing for me. Gotcha. Uh, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's a different thing for me, and I don't think you're going to guess it. Okay. Uh, do you want to guess mine, then? Uh, I think yours is The Crew. 
No, it is uh, the food chain expansion, just like Patrick yes. with the Feast for Odin. So our first play of that expansion was January last year. And uh, yeah, nothing more to say about it than that. It's great. Greatly improves upon the base game. Adds replayability. And then yeah, the crew and uh, Tichu is actually a close second for a new to me game of the year. Oh, that wasn't released in 2020. <laughs> uh, I think it was 91. <laughs> so yeah, a while ago. Uh, all right, Ben, or am I guessing? Up to you. I I can say with almost 100 percent certainty you're not going to guess this. New to you game of the year 2020. Patrick, can you and guess I'm, one? I'm, I'm 99% sure that the first time I played this was in 2020. Because I, I, I'm i 99% sure it's on my list for new game in 2020. In I am place. struggling to come up with a good guess. Struggling to come up with a good guess. Um, geez. I had a few ideas in mind. And they were Bus, oh, I got one. QE, and... Castell, but I'm I think they're all Star wrong. Star Wars Rebellion. Ooh, that's that, a good one. That's a really good guess, but um, and I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think now because now it's possible. You know what? Give me Patrick. <laughs> just give me guys. Give me two seconds to just check because <laughs> now I'm trying to think of whether or not I played this first late 2019 at Patrick's house, all right, all right. and I want to. I want to check really quickly. All right, Patrick, well, uh, you go then. Well, I, I kind of touched on mine. It was the Norwegians and Grand Austria Hotel, but it will add Star Wars Rebellion as a very uh, good game. The first time I played it was this year, and it was really, really uh, a great experience that I don't think I would ever own the game, but I'm glad I played it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, according to BG Stats, it was this year. Um, so I'm Last just going to say it. And I... Well, this past okay. In, tw- in tw- according to BG stats, it was in 2020. I'm going to say that I would be surprised if you would guess this solely because of how much I've complained about parts of this game oh, the uh, throughout the year. No, um, for me, it is uh, Black Rose Wars. Actually, really, oh, um, okay. and I know I've I know I've complained about the campaign. I've complained about. Ludus Magnus Studios, the company that makes it. Um, the game itself is honestly fantastic. I really, really liked it. Um, and I want to play it more. Like, I look at it up on my shelf and I want to keep playing it. And to me, I think that's a sign of a pretty good game, uh, at least for me. Um, but I know that that's probably a surprise because I've complained about all of the stupid things that the company has done throughout the Kickstarter um and everything but yeah i think black rose wars is the best new to me game of 2020 uh that's not my overall game of the year which would be bus i forgot black rose wars existed yeah the fault is mine that's okay i didn't think you were gonna get it even if you remembered it existed to be honest it's i didn't know you liked it that much I thought it was excellent, and I look at it up on my shelf, and I'm like, God, I want to play it. So, That's the one I played with you, right? If you did, then that would mean that it wasn't in 2020, because I don't remember if you played it. But this is the one where you have those schools of magic 
and you start in like different parts of this lodge and there's quests that you can complete and you're competing mm-hmm. again, and you can like destroy rooms so you might have an yeah. earlier noted play in your bg stats app if you logged it than i did uh, yeah. and I there are November tiny 24th, 2019 oh okay so never mind <laughs> it was 2019 uh then in that then in that case i would say star wars rebellion um star wars rebellion is absolutely fantastic so I'm glad I got to play that, and I want to play it again. But Black Rose Wars, best new game to me in twenty the end of 2019 that I can remember, because I'm sure there were better games in 2019 that I liked more. <laughs> you didn't mention the best component in Black Rose Wars. The tiny, plastic, one cubic <laughs> millimeter roses. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, fun fact, um, those You roses, lost them all. <laughs> no, I didn't lose them all. It's kind, it's, it's kind of... They do look like little nerds, to be honest. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. This game has these evocations, so you can like bring these monsters and stuff onto the board to fight for you. And each one has three holes in the base, like pinholes. And you put these super tiny, like one millimeter plastic roses of your player color into the base in the one, two, and three slot. They literally mean nothing other than showing you what number evocation it is. Like, the the roses have no gameplay impact other than trying to help you keep track of which one it is because you can have up to three at a time. Um, And they were so tiny that in the expansion or the second wave of the game that came through, they actually have miniature, like small little punch board they look like yard signs that say one two and three and you literally just fold up like the punch out spot and stick it into the base and it says one two three because they were so small the roses um (laughs) wow but yeah no i uh i want to play black rose wars again basically i guess is what i'm getting at I, i liked it yeah I think that is everything that I had written down topic-wise. Did you guys have anything more for the Hindsight 2020? Let me no, check. I think we covered it. All right. Well, while Ben is checking... Nope, that was I, all I had. Before we sign off, I just want to mention that I am going to be trying a new board game this next week, hopefully. And this board game is actually designed by friends of ours. Uh, Mm. This game is called Heirloom, or at least the rulebook currently has Heirloom at the top, and it is by Sean and Laura Malloy. Patrick, you know them, right? I do, and I'm aware of Heirloom. I read the rules, but I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. So I am hoping to play it next week. You are invited, of course. Mm. Uh, And Heirloom is a game about growing and selling flowers and I think speculating on the flowers a little bit as well. I don't want to say too much because I didn't read the rule book. I just had Greg and Rich briefly describe it to me two weeks ago. But I think there is contract fulfillment and it looks interesting mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to give it a go and hopefully can talk about it next week. Yeah, great. All right. I guess that's it for today then, isn't it? I think so. Yep. Wonderful. Looking forward to a better 2021, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's right. We'll talk about 2021 next week, I think. Yeah. 
And then the week after that, it's probably Patrick's turn to come back on the show, right? Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll start prepping now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Patrick, thank you as always for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a joy. Oh, that's nice of you. So kind. <laughs> and Ben, until next week yeah. when I can hopefully guess your 2021 goals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think I have two. I have three actually now, but play Black, Black Rose Wars. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not that's not on the list, but we'll see. We'll see next week. We'll see next week. What better closing words could we think of? Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you to Louisa for the great music throughout. Those are and we will music. see you later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see ya. <laughs>